Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm here once again with Katie Goulis. And I'm very happy that Katie is with us for a lot of reasons, one of which is because she is a young lady. And we're going to talk about the lady of all young ladies, that, of course, is the mother of God, or the Theotokos, as we call her in the Byzantine Catholic Church and in many Eastern churches. Theotokos is a Greek word which cannot be exactly translated in English, but the closest we come are words like God-bearer. In other words, that person that the Virgin Mary had in her womb was the man Jesus Christ, who is also God. And that's why we call her the Theotokos, or the Mother of God, or the God-bearer. We are in between several feasts, actually, of the Mother of God in many Eastern calendars of the Eastern Lung of the Church. We just came out of a glorious feast of Our Lady's Dormition, or more commonly known in the Western Church as her Assumption into Heaven. And this was very significant because this feast day pointed to really what our original intention was, the original intention God had for our creation as human beings and also to our destiny. According to the Eastern tradition, the mother of God died, according to what they say, the natural order of things. In other words, she went into a kind of a sleep, as it were, and then eventually her body and soul was reunited and taken into heaven together, intact. And this is because she was without sin. This is what would have happened to Adam and Eve had they not sinned. It would happen to you and I and every human being that ever lived or ever will live. But unfortunately, because of sin, we had this terrible rupture between body and soul, with the soul going into the ground and decaying, awaiting its resurrection and its reunion with the soul in glory in heaven. Well, the mother of God had that on earth. She had it right away because she was without sin. So what we hope for and wait for and long for after the second coming, the final judgment, the mother of God had right here on earth because she was without sin. So it's a very significant day. That's the feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God, which is celebrated on August 15th, but which also has what we call a post-festive. See, in the Eastern Church, we have pre-festive and post-festive. It's a kind of a build-up to the feast, the day itself, and then the what we call the post-festive, or the several days after. And for the Feast of the Dormition, since it's a major feast, it has uh, several days, rather long post-festive. But we've come out of that now, 
And no sooner we come out of that, but we look towards another magnificent feast of the Mother of God, and that is her nativity. The birth of the Mother of God is a very significant day in the calendar of many Eastern churches. And then we look forward after that, about a month later, to a feast day that is preserved primarily by the Slavic Eastern churches, and that is the Feast of Our Lady's Protection. Many Eastern churches, in fact, are named after this event, the Protection of the Mother of God, or Holy Protection. But a little bit of background on the Feast of Nativity of Mother of God, and Katie is going to share that with us here. And she's going to be referring to a great resource. Many of you ask me, where can we get information on the Byzantine Church, the Eastern Churches? Well, there's no one source in particular. You have to go to kind of many sources, but there are some good ones. First of all, I would direct you to, as far as a website, go to easternchristianmedia.com. That's easternchristianmedia.com. And that will link you to a lot of other sources as well. But there's also some really handy books, such as the one Katie's going to read from. It's called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Father Basil Shedegui. He was a great pre-scholar in my church. I knew him, had the privilege of knowing him as a boy growing up. He has uh, since passed on, but he was a seminary professor and uh, kind of ahead of his time in terms of his research. So Father Basil Shedegui is going to enlighten us about the origins of this great feast of the birth of the Mother of God, which is September 8th. Thanks, Father Tom. Ordinarily, the practice of the church is to remember this saint on the day of his death instead of on the day of his birth. She makes two exceptions, however, for the Mother of God and for St. John the Baptist, since Mary was immaculate from the first moment of her conception, and St. John was freed from original sin before his birth. The Feast of Mary's Nativity had its origins in the East, most likely in Syria or Palestine in the 5th or 6th century. St. Roman, a deacon at the Blasternay Church near Constantinople, wrote several beautiful hymns in honor of the feast. In the 8th century, St. Andrew of Crete delivered two sermons concerning this feast. The Western Church generally began to keep the Feast of the Nativity of Mary only in the 8th century. Even then, it was not universally celebrated, though in many places it had made its appearance even earlier. For some reason, the spread of this feast in the West had been retarded and did not appear in many calendars which do not contain the Assumption. When glorifying the Nativity of the Mother of God, a pious Christian would like to know where our Lord's Mother was born. One tradition maintains that she was conceived and born in the same house in which the Word became flesh, that is, in Nazareth. Another tradition regards Sepphoris, a little town north of Bethlehem, as the birthplace of Mary. According to legend, this was the town where the parents of Our Lady, Joachim and Anna, had lived at one time. Some even hold that the nativity occurred in Bethlehem itself, but most probably she was born in Jerusalem in a house called by St. Sophronius of Jerusalem, Probatica a name derived for its nearness to the pond called Probatica or Bethsaida. St. John Damascene himself asserts that Mary was born in Jerusalem. It is said that the Empress Eudocia built a church over the place of her birth, the Church of St. Anne. It's interesting, Katie, that word Probatica. <laughs> that is the pool that was a pool of healing at the time. And of course, Christ comes along that pool and he heals this man who had been there for 38 years and he brings real healing to it. It was a pool that was probably something like a hot spring of today. It probably had some kind of relaxing, a curative effect to it. But isn't it interesting that according to tradition, that this city that she was born in, or perhaps was born in, is named after a place that brought healing, which of course is what she did do. She is the intercessor. And in fact, on this feast day, as in all of our holy days, we have many profound texts that we sing. In the Eastern churches, the chant or the prayer is the theology, and the theology is the prayer. We sort of chant or sing our theology. It's almost like kind of didactic or pedagogical. We sort of teach ourselves as we're praying and singing. To give you an example, for this feast of the Nativity Mother of God, here's one of the verses. 
On this day, let us play the spiritual flute on this noteworthy feast, because from the seed of David is born the mother of the life who dispels the darkness. She is the renewal of Adam and the answer to Eve, the source of incorruption and the transformation of corruption. Because of her, we have been divinized and delivered from death. We cry out to her with Gabriel, Rejoice, O full of grace, the Lord is with you. Because of you, he has granted to us great mercy. Now, there's a whole lot of theology to unpack there. And we proclaim that theology, the significance of the mother of God, and the meaning of who we are as human. There's just so much to talk about here, just in that one short verse. And we sing these things throughout our services. What I just read to you came from the evening Vesper service of the church. Now, here's another verse as well. Today, Anne, the barren one, claps her hands for joy. The earth is bathed in light, and kings sing their happiness. Priests enjoy all blessings, and the whole universe rejoices. For the queen, an immaculate bride of the Father, comes forth from the root of Jesse. Behold, no woman will ever again bear a child in sorrow or anxiety, for joy has come forth in abundance, and life has filled the world. Joachim's offering shall no more be rejected, for the tears of Anne have been turned into joy. And now Anne can say, Rejoice with me, all you chosen ones of Israel. For the Lord has given me the palace of his divine and living glory, to be a place of joy and happiness for the whole universe and for the salvation of our souls. Notice that it is that weave together profound theology and metaphors about the mother of God, but also it points out the intercession, sort of the intrusion into the natural order on the part of God. Oftentimes in Eastern churches, we proclaim this. Wherever there is a birth to parents that were ordinarily barren, we consider this to be a miraculous birth. We consider it to be an intrusion, as it were, a loving, holy intrusion into time and space and history of God himself. So the birth itself becomes its own manifestation, its own epiphany. You see this theme repeated in the birth of John the Baptist, for instance, and other figures from the Old Testament, like Samson. And many of these figures, it's noted how they came into being, that their parents ordinarily could not conceive Another example would be like Abraham and Sarah. We all know that story and how it was an act of God coming through time and history from the Old Testament all the way to the New. And so the liturgical text, if you notice, make a point to talk about that because it's a sign of God's abiding presence, of his benevolence, of his vigilance, that he comes into history, into our time, and he'll kind of bend or transcend his own order. People who were too old to have children now give birth, not just to a child, but to a special child. And so our liturgical texts point this out. Also during our services, we have, as a matter of course, hymns or chants the Mother of God in all of our services. In the Matin service, there is an entire ode that is sung. We do nine odes during the Matin service in the Eastern Church, and one of those odes is always dedicated to the Mother of God. And we're going to take a look at some of those odes as well as other chants and feast days as we look into how the Eastern Lung of the Church observes and celebrates the Mother of God. And by the way, there's still time to head on out to our annual Labor Day weekend pilgrimage at Mount St. Macrina in beautiful Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Each year, the sisters there host a marvelous pilgrimage. In fact, this is number 78 for them, 78th annual pilgrimage in honor of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. It's in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and you can get information by going to the website of the sisters. That's sistersofsaintbasil.org, sistersofsaintbasil.org. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Did you know that God constructed women's arms differently than men's? I am Father Thomas Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The axis of a woman's outstretched arms angles inward at the elbow, whereas in men the axis is straighter. This enables women to bring things to themselves easier than men. Everything about a woman's body, her mind, heart, and soul, is designed for connectedness and to bring the world close to her heart. The language of her body says that God is close, tender, and loving. But she also has what John Paul II called a genius. It is her gift of receptivity stamped in the very design of her body. The Pope said that this makes woman the archetype of the human race because God designed the human race simply to receive his love. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. We were reading chants, prayers, liturgical texts from the Feast of the Nativity of Mother of God, which in many Eastern churches is September 8th. I was talking about one of the odes that is done during the morning prayer service, the matin service in the Byzantine Catholic Church, and especially on the feast day, such as this one. And this is one of the verses from the ode. The ninth ode of the matin service is always dedicated to the Mother of God. And this particular one says this, Mothers cannot be virgins, nor virgins be mothers, but in you, O Mother of God, both virginity and motherhood were present. Therefore, all the people of the earth unceasingly extol you. This very brief verse is actually very profound, has great implications even for our understanding of vocations, of marriage, even of celibacy. Because we're talking about virginity and motherhood. How can the two of them be together? Well, in the person of the Virgin Mary, we see modeled, we see realized what motherhood really is. Motherhood is really defined by spiritual motherhood, the spiritual investment that a woman has in her children, whether they be her biological children or children outside of her own family, or maybe she doesn't have any biological children, but she still can be mother, just as we call women in religious orders or in monasteries, mother superior or just mother. So this 
finds its modeling, its archetypal image in the mother of God herself that combines virginity and motherhood in a very mystical way. Now, moving on from this feast, we also have coming up the feast of the protection of Mother God, which is October 1st. And this feast is one of the few feasts in which the icon for it does not show Christ. In the Byzantine church and Byzantine iconography, the Virgin Mary is always depicted with Christ because Christ is what she is all about. It is who she leads us to, and it is he who makes her who she is. But there's there's one incident that happened centuries ago, a miraculous incident where the Mother of God appeared over a church in Blasherne, which is modern-day Turkey, near Istanbul, and the Virgin Mary appeared, and she spread out her mantle, you know, her cloak, across the, the city and around the church from the sky. And it saved this church from pestilence and from foreign invasion and all the troubles they were having. The people were praying in the church all night, and they saw this vision. And so that event of her protection, as it is now known, is celebrated in the Eastern churches, but primarily preserved in the Slavic churches, such as my own church. So you have Ukrainian churches, Ruthenian churches, Belarusian, Russian churches. These are the ones that tend to preserve this feast day, which is on October 1st. In fact, on my icon screen in our church, we have a beautiful icon of this feast day, and the Mother of God is sending down her mantle, stretching her mantle over what is an image of my own parish in commemoration of this feast day. Not only do we observe the events in the life of the Mother of God as a very prominent part of our liturgical calendar in Eastern churches, but we also have specific services to the Mother of God. In the Western church, the rosary is, of course, one of the most popular and venerable traditions of piety and prayer to the Mother of God. And in the Eastern churches, we tend to rely a lot on an actual services, liturgical services. And one of those is called the paraclesis service, which means an office of consolation. It's often prayed prior to the Feast of the Assumption. And Katie's going to present that service to you. Father Tom, this is one of the hymns from the service, and it says, O gracious one, you pray for all who with faith take refuge in your powerful protection. For we sinners, ever in affliction and misery, have no other recourse to God. We are burdened with many sins, Mother of God on high. Therefore, we prostrate ourselves before you. Save your servants from all calamities. And these are the verses that the priest usually leads, and then the response is a very kind of heartfelt, almost sort of mournful, pleading tune of a chant that we sing. We say, O most holy mother of God, save us. It's sort of like a continued refrain, repeated, sort of like a pleading from our heart. This office of consolation is prayed to the mother of God, especially in times of, of sickness or of great tragedy. We were praying this quite a bit around the time of the attacks on 9-11 in our country. But we do so traditionally, especially in my parish, every year prior to the Feast of the Assumption or the Dormition of the Mother of God. Now, another service that we have is called the Akatha service. This is an extremely beautiful service because what it does is it does a classically Eastern thing. See, the Eastern Church takes the approach of the Bible in a way that's rather allegorical. We call it allegorical typology. In other words, we go into the scriptures like the fathers of the church did, and we look at all the images of scripture which really were foreshadowings or kind of messengers, as it were, anticipations of the real thing. So when we talk about, for instance, the burning bush, the Ark of the Covenant, these are actually metaphors or types of what would be the archetype, and that would be the mother of God. Anytime in the Eastern Church we look into the Bible and we see where something special was contained in something else, or something happened or should have happened in nature, such as a bush on fire should have been consumed, but it wasn't, the Eastern Fathers see in that, and in our liturgy we express in that, that this is an image, a foreshadowing of the Mother of God. 
Well, we have an entire service that goes deep into the scriptures and it pulls out all these kinds of images and then it presents it to the mother of God in our way of, in a sense, showering compliments upon her. In other words, describing to her who she is. And this is done in several series of stanzas. And Katie's going to share some of those stanzas with us from this Akathist service to the mother of God in the Byzantine Catholic Church. The first stanza I'm going to read is called The Second Chant, and it says, Trying to grasp the meaning of this mystery, the virgin asked the holy messenger, How is it possible that a son be born from a virginal womb? Tell me. And he, the angel, answered her with awe, crying out in these words, Hail, O hidden sense of the ineffable plan! Hail, O belief in silence that must be! Hail, O forecast of the marvels of Christ! Hail, O fountainhead of the truths concerning him! Hail, celestial ladder by whom God came down! Hail, O bridge leading earthly ones to heaven! Hail, O wonder ever thrilling to the angels! Hail, O wound ever hurting to the demons! Hail, O you who gave birth to light ineffably! Hail, O you who told no one how it was done! Hail, O you who surpasses the wisdom of the wise! Hail, O you who enlightens the faithful minds! Hail, O bride and maiden ever pure! And the last chant I'm going to read is actually my favorite one, and Mm -hmm. it comes at the end of the service, and it's the 12th chant. And it says, By singing praise to your maternity, we exalt you as a spiritual temple, O Mother of God. For the one who dwelt within your womb, the Lord who holds all things in his hands, sanctified you, glorified you, and taught all men to sing to you. Hail, O tabernacle of God the Word. Hail, Holy One, more holy than the saints. Hail, O ark that the Spirit has gilded. Hail, inexhaustible treasure of life. Hail, precious crown of rightful authorities. Hail, sacred glory of reverent priests. Hail, unshakable tower of the church. Hail, unbreachable wall of the kingdom. Hail, O you through whom the trophies are raised. Hail, O you through whom the enemies are routed. Hail, O healing of my body. Hail, O salvation of my soul. Hail, O bride and maiden ever pure. Yes, it is a beautiful stanza, Katie. And it mentioned about men singing to the Virgin Mary. And on that note, because the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, is, of course, our spiritual mother, I want to send out a special greeting, a special prayer for all those of you who are listening from prison. We have a wonderful group of people listening from prison uh, throughout the United States. We're very touched by that. We love hearing from you. We can't always get back to you as often as we'd like, but hopefully you do enjoy what it is that we do here at Alight of the East, and we do thank you for listening and for corresponding with us. And so on that note, we offer the gift of our chant to all of you, especially those who may be listening in prison. This is the Byzantine chant, Pray to the Mother of God.
Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>